Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call it Money Pit is presented by the Angie app, Aero Fasteners, and Bank of America. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Here to help you take on your home improvement projects. If you've got a job you'd like to do, give us a call and we will help. Lots of ways to reach out to us, including our brand new app, a faster way to ask your questions. You can also get to the top of the queue when you download it because the new Money Pit Vox Pop app allows you to record and send your questions in just seconds. You can grab that at moneypit.com slash ask, moneypit.com slash ask. Coming up on today's show, if you'd like to step up the look of your home's exterior, a good lighting design can definitely help. So we're going to share some tips on what you need to know to get that project done. And the spaces under your deck, they can be dirty, dark, it's totally like a wasteland. But if your deck is a second story, there are lots of ways that you can add an underdeck ceiling that's going to drain the rainwater passing through and really clean up the look below. We're going to explain in just a bit. And if you live in an old house, finding out when your house was built and who lived there and what changes happened over the years can definitely be a fun and fascinating journey. So we're going to share some tips on how you can do just that. And spring is almost here, which is super exciting. I'm so excited for the warmer weather and the chance to hang out outside again and really just relax. So give us a call. Let us know what you are working on to get those outdoor spaces in tip-top shape, to get your homes ready for the warmer weather. Whatever you're doing, we can help. And we're giving away a set of great tools from Arrow today to one listener who connects with us to ask a question. We've got America's best-selling staple gun, the T-50, and its sidekick, the T-50X, to give away. And those are prizes worth 65 bucks. And if you want to get your questions answered first, just go to moneypit.com slash ask and download the Money Pit app. Or you can call us at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Dreama in West Virginia is on the line and could be dealing with a structural issue. Tell us what's going on at your money pit. Um, yes, I purchased a house about 13 years ago, and the house is approximately 30 years old. And all of a sudden, last year, I, in the load-bearing center wall, I started getting a crack. And now within a year, that crack has gapped approximately a half an inch wide. And it's also, I noticed, 
another room has a crack now. So I had a um, local handyman look at it, and he suggested that I put in three uh, piers, columns, to support the center wall. And I guess my question is, I haven't had an official large construction company look at it yet. I'm getting ready to do that. But I wanted to educate myself a little bit more. What would you all suggest? How long have you been in this house? 13 years. And this is new? Just started about a year ago. So here's the thing. If you if you call a contractor, you're going to get a contractor solution, which is to hire them to do something. What I would suggest you do first is to get an independent expert opinion, not necessarily an opinion from a contractor. So your options on that are, are two. Um, one is low cost. One, I would say, is moderate cost. The low cost option would be to find a local professional home inspector. You can go to the website for the American Society of Home Inspectors. That's at ASHI.org, A-S-H-I.org. And you can put in your zip code. They'll shoot back a list of certified professional home inspectors in your area. You can call through that list, find somebody that's experienced, and have them look at it because they're just there to find out what's going on and what caused it and uh, and what's going to take to fix it. The second way to go, which is the moderate cost, is to actually hire a structural engineer. Now, why may you want to do that, Dreama? Well, you might want to do that if this is a fairly obvious problem. You want to certainly preserve the value of your house. And if you have a structural engineer look at it and write a report as to what's going on and what it's going to take to fix it, and then you actually give that report to a contractor and say, this is what I want you to do, and then you have the engineer sort of recertify that it was done correctly. It's kind of having like having a pedigree that the repair is uh, is done correctly and it can kind of sell with your house, so to speak. Problem with contractors is that they're not structural engineers. They're just handy guys, and they think that they have the expertise to fix stuff like this, and they just don't. They don't have the schooling. They don't have the education. They don't have the training. And so you know that's not necessarily the best way to go about dealing with a situation like this. I am a little concerned that it happened over this past year because it sounds like it's active, and we want to get to the bottom of, of why it's active and why it's showing up all of a sudden. Well, someone had mentioned that it's a possibility. We've had a lot of uh, dry, dry, several dry summers, and because that, that could cause a settling in the foundation. Is that possible? I've never heard of that before. Um, no. I mean, there are some uh, expansive soils that behave differently when they dry out a lot. But listen, there's going to be a lot of opinions. Every neighbor you ask is going to have a different one. What we're trying to do is move you towards an expert opinion so you really know what you're dealing with. So as I said, contact a professional home inspector or a structural engineer. Get the assessment. It's well worth it. You know, your home is a big investment. We want to make sure it's protected, okay? I hadn't thought of a home inspector. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Dreama. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. 
Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's AirDoctorPro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IAPMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T, MONEYPIT. Robert in North Carolina is on the line and is dealing with a dryer that, guess what, just is not drying. That's the worst. Tell us what's going on. Well, I've got a dryer. It's about five or six years old. And here lately, for about the past six or eight months, it's taken sometimes three cycles to dry, like a, a medium to large size load of clothes. Oh, that makes no sense. Yeah, and uh, the heating element was placed maybe a year and a half, two years ago. We just don't know what's going on with it. Do you get good airflow when the dryer runs where it's pushing warm air out the exhaust duct? Yeah, I went up to the roof one time when it was running, and it was coming out of there uh, fairly decent, and the, the air was warm. You know, you just may have uncovered one problem. When you take a dryer vent and you push it up against gravity, and so it's driving all the way up to the roof from, I presume, the second floor, you know, dryer's not really designed to do that. And I know that a lot of times folks install them that way, but trying to force that hot air to go up all of that distance to the roof can sometimes be problematic. Look, if your dryer's not heating properly, there's only a few things that could be causing that. One is the heating element. So let's presume that this is working correctly, although it certainly seems sounds like it's not. There could be multiple heating elements, and one can be burned out. This is the reason you feel some warm air. Um, the next thing is the, the duct work, and you want to make sure that that's clean. Not only the external duct work, but even internally, sometimes if you get something stuck in the internal duct work in the dryer, that can block some of the airflow itself. And the other thing that can happen is sometimes it can overheat and then cycle. So if it's overheating, what will happen is it will get really hot, 
and then it'll overheat and the heating element will go off and then it'll cool down and then it'll come on again. It'll get really hot and it'll go off. And that kind of cycling of a thermostat can be a problem as well. I mean, at this point, it sounds to me like you've done almost everything that you can do on your own. You might want to either replace it or get it serviced. How old is the dryer? Probably no more than six years. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, six to eight years is not a is not a terribly uh, uh, short period of time for a dryer. So it, it you might want to think about uh, replacing it or getting a pro to fix it because I think it's probably one of those three things that's causing the issue. Yeah. Another thing, it's got about between 20 and 25 feet of, uh, it has the corrugated duct. We were thinking about changing that to the smooth uh, stovepipe kind of duct. Would that help also? Where's this 20, 25 feet? You mean from the discharge port all the way up to the attic where it discharges? Yes. And that's a long way, and certainly a solid metal duct is going to be better. Um, can you go up into the attic and then go sort of across the attic floor and down towards a soffit and install a vent right there? Um, it's possible. It's just a single-story house, so I'm sure I could do that. But the laundry room is in the middle of the house. i got to tell you, even if you had that venting perfectly, three running this thing for three loads to dry one load of clothes sounds like it's something else and not necessarily totally venting. Okay, yeah, we were thinking about uh, just don't think it's worth it to call somebody out there to fix it. We've got, we found a, a, pretty, a fairly decent dryer. We know somebody that runs a child care center and uses the one we're thinking about getting, and they run it five, six times a day, and they've had theirs for three years. I think that makes sense. I mean, unfortunately, these these products today are almost disposable because the cost of repair is uh, so high. I will give you one of the suggestions. There's a website called repairclinic.com. That's pretty good at helping you identify problems with, uh, with appliances and then selling you the parts you need to fix it. So... You may want to take a look at that. They have a little tool there where you can put in your model number, and it'll walk you through the scenarios. And who knows, it might be a common problem with that particular model. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Hey, if you guys got a project you'd like to tackle, we've got some tools to give away that could help. From Arrow Fastener, we've got the T-50 Heavy-Duty Staple Gun and the T-50X TacMate Staple Gun. That's right. Now, the T-50 is America's best-selling staple gun. Now, both are very well-built. They're durable tools. They will stand up to dozens and dozens and years and years of DIY projects and pro projects, too. Now, it's a set of Arrow T-50s along with a supply of staples. It's worth about $65, and it's going out to one listener who's drawn at random. If you'd like a shot to win it, you've got to reach out to us with your questions. You can call us at one eight 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 Money Pit or Post your questions at moneypit.com slash ask by downloading the Money Pit app. Betty in Texas, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? We live in a ranch-style home, and uh, we have several bedrooms and bathrooms where the um, the door frames, up above the door frames on just one side, are cracking. And we have repeatedly had um, contract workers out here to repair them, and it is not held. Feel like it's Groundhog Day? You're fixing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty common um, around the door frame and around windows. Those are the weakest portions of the wall. So mm-hmm. if you have some movement from a normal expansion and contraction, that's where it's going to show. Typically, what happens is you'll have a painter or a handyman come out and they'll spackle the crack and paint it, and it seems to go away for a while. But of course, as soon as the wall moves again, it shows up. 
What you really have to do here is sand down the area around the crack. And then you have to cover it with a perforated spackle tape. And that usually looks like a like netting and it's a little sticky. You put it across the, the crack and then you spackle over the tape. And that does a permanent repair because it actually sort of melds one side of the wall with the other. And it should not separate again the next time the wall moves. Okay. Well, that sounds wonderful. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Joe in Illinois, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have a single-story house that's got hot water. i got a boiler with hot water heat baseboard. And about eight years ago, I had air con- uh, central air conditioning installed. And okay. they did all that. They run all the trunk lines up in the attic, put all my yep. registers in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem happens during wintertime, I'm getting condensation on. You know, I'll go around and shut them registers off, but it's not 100% shut off on them registers, of course. And I'm getting condensation that's forming up in my trunk line, and I'm getting condensation dripping out of my registers, which I'm starting to get some water stains on my ceiling around my registers from this. All right, so you have an energy problem. The problem is that those registers are so cold that when the warm, moist air from the house strikes them, it condenses. And so you need additional insulation in the space above that. You may need to insulate in or around those ducts. You may need to wrap those ducts with additional insulation. You need to keep those ducts warmer. And and frankly, the bigger problem is one that you can't see. If, if it's that cold at your ceiling, you're probably losing a lot of heat through that ceiling. So I would get up in that attic space and take a look. You know, in your part of the country, having 15 or 20 inches of insulation is not unheard of. And it is certainly a good idea. Well, basically, I know when they put it in there, they laid them trunk lines right on top. I got like 20 inches of blown fiberglass, and they laid them trunk lines. I need to peel that fiberglass back, bury them trunk lines, and insulate all around that real good. I think that would make a lot of sense. Sounds good, Dan. All right, Joe, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you'd like to step up the look of your home's exterior, a good lighting design can help. Now, lighting not only adds safety and security, but style if you do it well. We've got some ideas in today's pro project presented by Angie. Now, here's what you're going to need to consider. So, budget. How much do you want to spend? Because exterior lighting, that cost can range from a little to quite a lot. And adding a lightscape to a home where you plan to be for only a few years will merit a different level of exterior lighting investment than a longer-term home that you're staying in. But even for bigger lighting plans, this is one improvement that you can easily spread out over a number of years doing one type of project or one side of the house or one area at a time for sure. I can't begin to tell you guys how many bad lighting systems I've seen that probably started out looking great. And within a year, they're looking like hell. Half the lights are broken. They're missing. And it's because of the quality of the fixture. It really makes sense to invest in good quality fixtures and components so that it lasts a long time. Low voltage is definitely the way to go, but you'd need to work with good materials like copper and brass. There are a lot of cheap landscape lights out there, and many rarely last more than a season or two. So you're always better off buying good quality fixtures and breaking your project up into smaller chunks to spread out the costs. Now, you also want to think about creating mood and a focus area of your exterior spaces. And there's a range of outdoor lighting fixtures that make it possible to illuminate the home's exterior, as well as any Hollywood lighting designer out there could focus. I mean, that really is the key. You want to pick things and you want to focus on them and you want to make it look beautifully designed. So for a front and a backyard, you want to carefully choose those focal points to receive the brightest and most dramatic spotlight and then build the rest of that outdoor lighting scheme around them. 
Overall, you want to shoot for a natural look that's going to replicate moonlight that's softly streaming from above, as opposed to those heavy doses of uplighting. And if you do a nice mix, it's going to look great. And that's today's Pro Project presented by Angie. Get your home projects done right with Angie. Download the Angie app today. Cindy in Delaware is on the line with some plumbing odors. Tell us what is going on, Cindy. I have dual sinks in the master bathroom. And every once in a while... I get a strong sore smell. Okay. I don't know what's causing it. It uh, doesn't matter if I run the water um, or flush the toilet. But uh, the the left bowl connects the underneath the pipe connects to the right one, and it goes down into the you know under the house. Okay. Well, assuming that they were plumbed correctly, and that you in fact have a, a plumbing trap there, which I'm going to presume you are. The odor is probably the result of something called biogas, which is basically happens when you get a lot of debris over the years and it lines the inside of the pipe and it lines the inside of the, of the, the connections, the drain and so on. And then that, that uh, material will start to produce a pretty strong odor. So what you need to do is take the drain apart and use a bottle brush to scrub the inside of it. You can't just like run something down there. You physically have to scrub it, those pipes out, and that usually will eliminate that material, and therefore the odor. Okay. Okay, because I had used, tried vinegar and baking soda. Yeah, that's all good stuff. But, you know, if it's really building up like that, you're going to have to remove the scum, so to speak, that's, that's containing all that bacteria that's producing the odor. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Now we're going to help Bud in Oregon avoid a hair-raising electrical situation. What's going on, Bud? I've got a three banks of the... Uh, Two bulbs each, four foot long, mounted up in the ceiling, built into a box directly over my cooktop. And during the summertime when the humidity is higher, if I get any moisture up there, it can take sometimes days before those lights will come on reliably on the first flip of the switch. Now in the winter, when I'm burning a wood stove, which means I got lower humidity inside the house. Uh, if I'm cooking on the cooktop and don't turn the lights on before, I get the same problem. Except as soon as the moisture stops going up there and I've got 10, 15 minutes, then the lights will start coming back on regularly and be reliable again. <laughs> so what I need to know from you, if you've got some suggestions, is before I get up there and start looking for how to do something, I want to know what I need to have in in stock. Uh, is there something, uh, a lubricant, a cleanser, or whatever to, to, to do something with contacts or got any suggestions? I would give up on those fixtures. I would, too. I think you're right. I would just give up on them. They don't sound safe to me. Um, I'm not quite sure what exactly is going wrong with them, but they certainly shouldn't be behaving that way. And I would worry about them getting worse and potentially causing a fire. The cost of a four-foot dual-bulb fluorescent fixture is not very much today. And so I would simply take this on as a project and replace each and every one of them. I wouldn't try to change the ballast out. I wouldn't try to clean it. I wouldn't try to do anything like that. I would just replace them. It's just not worth it. That's not what I wanted to hear, but it's just a good thing, and it's probably cheaper in the long run to spend the eight ten dollars per you know put up three brand new ones. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I'll just look for a good time when I can do it without breaking my neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's always important, Bud. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. 
Hey guys, you know the area under second story decks can be a dark, wet wasteland, but installing under deck ceiling can make that area totally useful. And we're going to tell you how in today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America customized cash rewards credit card. That's right. You know, with all the rainwater that leaks through those second story decks, the area underneath can get pretty nasty. I mean, a lot of times you're going to find these spaces, well, they're going to be damp, wet. You'll see a lot of green algae growth and a host of moisture loving bugs. So it's not really a place that you want to hang out in. Now, the solution is to build or to buy an under deck ceiling. If you're handy, you can build your ceiling out of corrugated fiberglass panels. We've got a video, a materials list, and step-by-step instructions on our website that's been downloaded over 20,000 times a month that's going to help you get that job done. Now, the other option is to purchase a prefabricated underdeck ceiling system. This is going to cost you a bit more, but the ceiling is actually going to be a lot easier to install, and it tends to look much more finished when you're done. Some of the more popular prefabricated systems are underdeck, there's a timber tech, there's the Trex Rain Escapes, or Deck Drain. They each now have their own sort of unique design, but all in all, they're a lot easier to install than starting from scratch. And once that ceiling is done, you can give that underdeck space a good cleaning and start enjoying that shade on a warm summer day. And that's today's smart spending tip presented by the Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card. Earn 3% cash back on online shopping. Apply today at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Now we're talking to Pauline in New Jersey who needs some help with a countertop. How can we help you today? I have a lot of counters in both the bathrooms and the kitchen. And from this, I have backsplashes as well. And where the backsplash and the counter meet, it's coming up white. And it's, it looks like dry paste. And also, what's happened over the last few years, at first I took a little bit off, you know, with my nail, but now it's getting really bad. And it's, there are splash marks as though when they put the counter in, they didn't clean off the, so whatever they used. And it looks like you splashed something on and it dried up. And I don't want to use anything that isn't right for the granite and ruin it. So I was wondering if you had a suggestion that might be easy for me to use and, you know, get rid of this stuff. How long um, have you had these countertops? When were they first installed? Seven years ago. And they've never been sealed since? No, no. Well, you know, granite tops do take quite a bit of maintenance. People think that they're fairly maintenance-free because they're somewhat indestructive, but they really do need a lot of care, and they need to be resealed from time to time. And it sounds to me like the white stuff that you're describing is most likely mineral salts. And what happens is the the countertops, when they lose their seal, they absorb more moisture. Then the moisture evaporates off, and it leaves behind the mineral salt deposits that's in the in the water. And that forms that white sort of crust. It's like a grayish-white crust. Now, what are you using to clean them on a daily basis? Generally, just water and a little... They told me to use the uh, Windex. Yeah, you know, you can make a homemade granite cleaner with uh, rubbing alcohol, standard rubbing alcohol, mixed with uh, maybe a half a dozen drops of dishwasher detergent. Okay, thank you so much. Head to Pennsylvania, where Mike has a question about a bathtub. What can we help you with? I have an old... um uh, steel tub that's actually rusting out and had a few quotes on having it refinished versus, uh, you know, there's there's companies out there that'll put vinyl inserts and all, or is it better just to have it ripped out and put a brand new tub in? I would vote for having it ripped out and putting in a brand new tub because I don't think that you're going to be able to refinish it and be happy with that. Uh, most of the refinishing, if it's done professionally, it can be okay, but man, I tell you what, it's a it's an awfully big project. It's a very messy project. 
they have to use some pretty coarse chemicals to uh, prep that tub and get it ready for the new finish. And then the new finishes are certainly not going to last as long as the original finish. So I think it's probably a good option for either a new tub or you could do um, sort of a tub insert. There are companies out there that make inserts that fit inside the existing tub. Uh, priced, uh, not so coincidentally, just slightly less than tearing out the tub and starting right. from scratch. But it's done in the day. <laughs> All right. I, just, I appreciate that. Thanks for your time. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you live in an old house, finding out when your house was built, who lived there, and what changes happened over the years, it can be fun. I mean, it's always great to learn a lot of stuff about the place you're going to live in. Now, the first place to start is to identify the era in which the structure of the house was built. You can do that with the help of an easy Google search on architectural styles, and most homeowners can kind of figure out a core style by examining the silhouette of the house, its layout, as well as the style of the windows, doors, and other architectural features. You know, there's also a lot of records out there that will kind of give you a guesstimate on when it was built. You can go to town records. I mean, in the 1900s is when owners had to start getting building permits for things like alterations or plumbing, so you can get the names of previous owners and see what was done back then. You can also check county archives and state preservation trusts and local city or town historical societies because they often have catalogs of municipal information, including maps uh, and archives of local newspapers and the genealogical info that can tell you actually a lot about the people who did live in your home. And there could also be some what I call the hidden chapters in the history of your house because contractors will frequently find like an old wall, a few stair steps, or some other vestige of its prior self during renovation. So you always need to be on the lookout for that. Yeah, it's super cool when you do find that stuff. I remember we took off the siding. We found like a whole different entrance underneath Now, next, you kind of want to observe your neighborhood. And while we rarely think of old neighborhoods as developments, you kind of have to remember that they were. I mean, just like housing developments that too often fill up former farmlands today, those streets were just as vacant at one time. So by looking at the houses in your neighborhood, scoping out similar structures, you really might be able to get a better scope of the original blueprint. Now, finally, a lot of construction details can help you sort of rough date a house. For example, if you look just at the nails, if the nails are cut nails, which you might think of today as masonry nails, but they were cut out of sheets of steel as opposed to extruded, that basically means you're talking late 1800s to the early 1900s. You can look at paint colors and moldings before the 20th century. All of these had styles that were very particular to certain eras. And another one that's kind of fun is plumbing fixtures. You know, a lot of folks don't know this, but the date the plumbing fixtures were made is usually stamped into the fixture somewhere. Like if you still have like a old steel sink somewhere in your house, I can almost guarantee you that if you get on your hands and knees and look underneath that thing with a strong flashlight, you will find a date that was cast into that sink. And in more modern years, you could lift up the lid on a toilet and find out the date it was manufactured. So you can assume it was put in pretty much right after that. In fact, we've got a complete list of building materials and methods by age on our website in a post called Home Repair Tips by Age of House. Home Repair Tips by Age of House. It is on the homepage at moneypit.com. Now we're going to Missouri, where Tammy is having issues with her new furnace. What's going on? Let's talk you through this. Uh, I replaced the furnace here before the beginning of winter. And since then, I've had a buzzing noise in my breaker box every time it kicks on. I would like to say that the furnace that I replaced was about up to my knees, and the newer furnace is about chest high. 
would that have something to do with the pulling of the ants? Or Well, the size of the physical size of the unit, unit may or may not be related to this. It's more like how much power is it pulling and how is it wired in to the breaker box. But if you're getting a vibration in the breaker box itself, that's not a good sign. Uh, the breaker could be deteriorating internally, and what you're hearing are the early stages of that, or perhaps the advanced stages of that. I don't know. I would tell you that if you got that kind of a, of a signal, um, I would definitely have it checked out by an electrician. Open that panel up, have them pull out those breakers, look behind them, make sure they're, it's sized properly, make sure nothing is overfused, for example, where the wrong size fuse is being used on a wire and therefore not protecting it from overheating. Uh, it's definitely not a good sign and shouldn't be happening, and you need to get it checked out further. Okay, Tammy? All right. Thank you. Stephanie writes in. She's got a question about a metal roof. Now, she says, I'd like to get a metal roof to eliminate ice dams. They're expensive, so I'm wondering if it's worth it. Metal roofs are a great investment, but it really comes down to how long you're going to live in that house because a metal roof is pretty much a lifetime roof. It doesn't really wear out. So if this is a house you're going to be in for a very short period of time, like five to 10 years, you are probably not going to get uh, the life out of that roof that you paid for. But if this is like, you know, the house that you're going to be in until they roll you out of it, I mean, then maybe it makes sense for it. They're beautiful. And the technology has changed also so that they can actually reflect some of the heat uh, in the summer, keeping the place cooler. Uh, but it really depends on how long you're going to be there to enjoy it. Right, Les? I mean, I really think so, and it's dependent on whether or not you like the look of it. Now, for the ice damming, Tom, that's still a matter of the underlayment, regardless of the roofing material, correct? Uh, yeah, very good point. You don't need a metal roof to eliminate ice dams. Uh, what you need to do is to have ice and water shield under whichever roof you end up putting in, uh, and that could be an asphalt shingle roof, which is a lot less expensive. But ice and water shield goes from the roof edge up about three feet, because that's where those ice dams form. And also, if you have proper ventilation in your attic, you're going to reduce the propensity for ice dams as well. But you do not need a metal roof to prevent ice dams. I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's metal or asphalt. You're still going to get ice dams if the roof is not built right. All right, Steph, hope that helps you out. Now we've got Charlene, who's cracking up in Indiana. She says, I have a decent-sized crack in the sheetrock corner of my dining room. I spackled it last spring, but it came back a few months later. What is the best way to fix this for good? Well, you got to remember that walls are always moving. They're always expanding and contracting. So simply spackling something is not going to do it. Uh, there's a product out, if you've got one like this that's really kind of bugging you, there's a product out from Avatron called Crack Coat, K-R-A-C-K Coat. And it's a patch system for cracks, but one thing that's different about it is it actually uh, comes with a, a sort of an adhesive where you adhere a tape to that crack that covers both sides of it and seals it really, really well. And then you spackle over that with this crack coat products that come in the box. It's kind of a kit. It's all together. So I think that that's a really good option for a crack in a corner like that where you're always getting that movement. If you want to do it uh, another way and you can't get this product, what you could do is lightly sand that crack both sides of it. Use a perforated tape. Uh, it's like usually like a fiberglass mesh tape. And then you put Three coats of spackle over that, very, very thin, one at a time. Don't put a lot on. You want to build it up over time because it's a little tricky to get it smooth. And then once you're done, you've got to prime it. 
because you're going to have a lot of new spackle there that's dried, and then you can paint the room and it'll all blend in. And hopefully you won't see it again. All right, Charlene, I hope that helps you out. Now, when you're stuck on what color to paint the room, give us a call. We'll help you with that. I know it's hard. <laughs> you are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on this Pretty much the first week of spring is about to roll out. So that means it's time to get to work. You get to go outside. You get to tackle those deck projects, those patio projects, maybe plan some painting projects. Anything you do outside in escaping the inside after all the months we've spent there is a wonderful way to spend a weekend. And we will be here to help you every step of the way. Remember, you can reach out to us by downloading the Money Pit app at moneypit.com slash ask or call us 24-7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Until then, I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 